Let's read together Judges chapter 20, verses 29 through 48. In the second half of Judges 20, we have the third phase of the civil war between Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. In this phase, Israel is finally successful and Benjamin is defeated, as the Lord had predicted. Judges chapter 20, beginning at verse 29. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people as at the other times, in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the field, about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, they are defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamer. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. And 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked for they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them, and whoever came out of the cities they destroyed in their midst. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All these were men of valor. Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly up to Gidon and killed 2,000 of them. So all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of valor. But 600 men turned back and fled toward the wilderness to the Rock of Rimmon. And they stayed at the Rock of Rimmon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all who were found. They also set fire to all the cities they came to. Once again, let's begin with some background notes. The reason for the civil war between Israel and the tribe of Benjamin is because of the events in Judges chapter 19. A Levite and his concubine had stopped for the night in the town of Gibeah in the territory of Benjamin. During the night, the homosexual men of the city surrounded the house where the Levite was staying. They demanded to have homosexual relations with a Levite, but were given the Levite's concubine instead. The evil men of Gibeah abused the concubine all night so that she died. In the morning, 
The Levite got up and intended to go on his way. However, he discovered his concubine dead on the doorstep. He loads her body onto his donkey, takes her home, and cuts up her body into 12 parts, which he then sends to all the tribes in Israel. How he sent the body parts and who received them, we are not told. In any case, Israel was outraged when they heard the story to the point of going to war in order to discipline Benjamin for allowing such events to happen in Israel. Although the allied forces of Israel far outnumbered the army of Benjamin, Benjamin was able to defeat Israel in the first two battles of the war. Finally, in the third battle, the forces of Israel were able to defeat the forces of Benjamin by means of an ambush. This ambush reminds us of the ambush of Ai that we read about in Joshua chapter 8, which would have been, by the way, not too long before this time. Remember, the chapters at the end of Judges come chronologically early in the time of the Judges. Well, more we could say for background, but let's move now to our doctrinal or teaching points. Doctrinal point number one, God's assistance is not necessarily a sign of God's approval. God's assistance is not necessarily a sign of God's approval. In verses 27 and 28 of this chapter, we see that Israel had asked counsel of the Lord as to whether they should continue the war against Benjamin. And the Lord had answered, yes. Let's read once again, verses 27 and 28. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. So God definitely assisted Israel in their war against Benjamin because of Benjamin's toleration of this gross sin of immorality at Gibeah. But just because God gave Benjamin into Israel's hands does not mean that God approved of everything Israel was doing. No way. God's assistance is not necessarily a sign of God's approval. The tribes of Israel were right in disciplining Benjamin but they were far from faultless themselves. The fact that it took the horrendous deed of the Levite, cutting up his dead concubine, to finally cause moral outrage in Israel, shows how low all of Israel had sunk during the time of the judges. And that's one reason why God included the gross details of these chapters, to show how bad all Israel had become during the dark days of the judges, both morally and spiritually. And then the fact that the Lord allowed the forces of Israel to be defeated by Benjamin in the first two battles. It shows that all of Israel had to get right before the Lord. And then the way Israel went about almost annihilating the tribe of Benjamin certainly did not meet with the Lord's approval. Look once again at verse 48 of chapter 20. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all who were found. They also set fire to all the cities they came to. And we know from the next chapter that all of the women of the whole tribe of Benjamin were killed. Such 
pillage and carnage throughout the land of Benjamin was uncalled for. Certainly, God did not approve of this. And then in chapter 21, we see Israel's massacre of Jabesh Gilead in order to get wives for the men of Benjamin. There's no way God was approving of these violent acts. So God's assistance to Israel in giving Benjamin into their hands does not mean he approved of all this unnecessary killing and devastation. You all see the lesson? God's assistance is not necessarily a sign of God's approval. And that's an important lesson to learn. And some Christians never seem to learn that lesson. Some Christians in business, for example, think that because God is giving them success over their competition, that God is approving of all their business practices and ethics. Not necessarily so. Other Christians think that because God is assisting them in disciplining wrongdoing in their family or fellowship, it follows they think that God is approving of all their forms of discipline. Nothing could be further from the truth. Church leaders, for example, need to be extremely sensitive to the kind of discipline they use in dealing with wrongdoing. Discipline can be carried too far in the home and in the church. Many sad illustrations could be given here, even where overreaction and discipline has resulted in broken families. Remember, God's initial assistance is not necessarily a sign of approval for all subsequent action taken. God's assistance is not necessarily a sign of God's approval. Doctrinal point number two, God can suddenly change the course of events. God can suddenly change the course of events. We certainly see this lesson taught in this chapter, don't we? The tribe of Benjamin thought they were getting away with their defiant attitude of defending the sinful city of Gibeah. Why, they had even defeated all of Israel in two battles. But God suddenly changed the course of events. Israel went before the Lord and wept and fasted and sacrificed, as we saw back in verse 26. And God answered. And overnight, the course of events was changed. What a lesson for us. Maybe you're in a situation right now where it seems like everything's going the wrong way. You've been before the Lord. You wept before the Lord. You're waiting on the Lord. Listen, don't give up. Hang in there. God can suddenly change the course of events. You know, right now in this nation, it seems like the wrong side is winning. Moral standards are up for grabs. Lying is being redefined. Sexual misconduct pervades the land. Can it change? Yes, it can. God could bring another great awakening to this land. But we must humble ourselves and pray. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 certainly has an application here, doesn't it? If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. God can suddenly change the course of events. Practical application. Can we say, better dead than depraved? Can we say, better dead than depraved? During the time of the judges, as we've seen, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. This would include the perverted sexual activity of Gibeah. 
From God's point of view, this was depravity. Let me read a little-known scripture from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 9 and verse 9. They are deeply corrupted, or they have gone deep in depravity. As in the days of Gibeah, he will remember their iniquity, he will punish their sins. As far as God was concerned, the sins of Gibeah were depravity. The tribe of Benjamin was desensitized to the sin of perverted sex. Probably some thought it was just an alternative lifestyle. But from God's point of view, it was depravity. And from God's point of view, it was better dead than depraved. Can we agree with God on this point? Or are we being brainwashed with the idea that perverted sex is only a matter of sexual preference? Now, this is not to say that we don't reach out to those involved in perverted sex with the gospel of God's grace. And it's certainly not saying that we wish that everyone involved in perverted sex was dead. No, the point of this application is to ask ourselves whether we approve of God's judgment in this situation here in Judges 20, or for that matter, at Sodom and Gomorrah. Or do we have problems with God at this point? Can we agree that God was doing the right thing here in the way he judged those involved in perverted sex and the way he dealt with that situation? Can we say better dead than depraved?